0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Reinsurance Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jared Lee,
1: and with him, wishing you a very happy New Year. It's me, Ben Rose. Oh, happy New Year, my friend. And and it's not just me. It's not just you.
0: No. Once again, Cast we your are eyes joined slightly to the right. Jared, <laughs> and you'll see. <laughs> it's our friend Tom. Hey, <laughs> welcome back, sir. Happy New Year. And you? And you?
2: It's been an exciting one. How oh. long do you say Happy New Year for? After the New Year's
1: until time. March. Until until I've worked out well, so which year it actually I, is, because I will I will wish everybody a very merry twenty twenty four for quite a while, <laughs> normally. So we'll see.
0: But I remember talking to someone about this and it, we we actually went spent this is this is something me and Ben would do. This wasn't Ben in this scenario, but we actually spent way too much time analyzing this. Be like, if you hadn't spoken to them since like middle of December, you have until the middle of Feb to say Happy New Year. But like if you saw them like
1: Deep. So you have a rule. There's like there's like, there's like a hard and fast cut, regardless a, of whether yeah, you defend them or not. Correct. This is actually something we, we've done in Superseed. So if you log into Superseed, I, uh, you know, just I, I hope it's been released by now because we've given them you know lots of warning in advance. But I, you know, it normally says good morning, yeah. log in, etc. And it bases it on the time of day. Well, depending on whether you've logged in <laughs> in <laughs> the time frame that Jared described, depends on whether or not Superseed will wish you Happy New Year or not. Yeah. I'm lying, I didn't tell anybody to do that. So. Uh, I bet Jezen so. thanks you every day for a program. <laughs> I, I hope project. he panicked for a little <laughs> bit there and he it was like, oh, that where did that? Urgent,
0: that... <laughs> urgent request. Urgent <laughs> request. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah.
0: But, no. I mean, that was a, a fun renewal. Smooth sailing right the way through
1: absolutely just nothing to talk about nothing for. to
0: talk about at all in this one one recap it was <laughs> smooth as they get
1: we might as well just turn to christmas presents instead and talk about that uh, you i've sent you all pictures of my my plan yeah. i got for christmas
0: but but my goodness i think there are still especially around london paper drifting dramatically from the rafters right as as we
2: come out of it out of this one one i mean it's still not done from what i hear no Um, is there's, there's lots still to do, lots to clean up.
0: I was, um, I was looking through some stuff the other day. Um, and there was a a news article from like the 14th, 15th of December that at that point, only 5% of treaties were done. Right. And normally it was around 60%. So like going into the last couple of weeks of the year, like everyone is in full scramble mode and there's just not enough time. There's not enough capital, like just carnage.
2: Well, and what were the ones that weren't done? Right. It was, it was most of the retro stuff. Yeah, which holds up everything else yeah. because no one knows where this capacity is coming from. Yeah, well, I think that's what made this renewal so much
0: more interesting than previous years, even previous like, oh, the market's getting harder. Like that actual actual blockage of reinsurers being asked to quote risk but having no idea what they could get on the retro side and and having to wait for that those deals to get wrapped up first and just them sort of turning around with the sort of shrug emoji back to, to their <laughs> brokers and their clients.
1: I think it's also made the you know the, the life experience over the Christmas period a bit different as well. So normally we call it silly season. Everybody's very busy doing all sorts of work, but also then mm-hmm. coming to Christmas parties Uh, Certainly for my part, I I finished up at at 3 a.m. in a kebab shop with some very senior reinsurance folk, not because we'd been out drinking for long, but because they didn't finish work until about 1 (laughs) a.m. So (laughs) that was the uh, remaining allocation of time available. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, We we met up with some friends um, before the end of the year uh, who were retro brokers and like they showed up to the drinks like 1130 at night. And then we're on the f- jumping up and going to take calls like every five minutes
2: throughout the. Like, that's just the way it's when it the was. people who would never be seen in the city with their top button
1: undone yeah. look like bedraggled <laughs> at the halfway down their shirt. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think we're here to see, to hear some some anecdotes and stories and things as well that we've all collected together mm. from this renewal series. I, I mean, I'm sure that I. As, as a couple of things have already, we'll start to see some of the more formal reports come out with the analysis of what's happened. And there's a few that normally come out in February time as well. I, and we'll discuss those in a lot more detail when we can stare at some some hard numbers. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, you well, heard are, it first. Are completely anecdotal. Exactly, you heard it. I mean, <laughs> Unscientific the review. Qual, the qual is what you call <laughs> it. This is not a stats-based podcast because that takes yeah. far too much preparation for yeah. a team that's busy building SuperSeed. We yeah. are a qual and... Dubiously anecdotal yeah. <laughs> form of media. Long shall that rain. But if, but if you're, long you're, shall that rain, indeed. <laughs> you're right. There's,
2: I think, people like, you know, they categorize the 1 1 period as this frantic period of activity in late December where nobody knows what they're doing and they don't have time to see their friends or their family, which is, you know, meant to be the important part of the period of year. But a renewal season is so much longer than that. yeah. And, you know, I think we've, we've been talking about and characterizing this renewal season since August, September time yeah. um, and looking at what was going to happen and theorizing about it.
0: Yeah, I think, um, and you're right, we can sort of look almost like a year in review style on this one. Um, but if even, if, even, if, even if you start back from sort of Monte Carlo, the, the vibe and the sense in Monte Carlo, from my perspective, was kind of um boy who cried wolf style. Everyone was saying the market was gonna hard and everyone was talking about capacity shrinkage and all of this sort of stuff.
1: You just had Florida at that point. Right,
0: right, well. right. And it was beginning the Florida stuff was beginning to happen. But everyone still kinda had this feeling of like,
2: yeah, we've
0: heard this the last sort of eight years. Like we we're gonna be fine. Like, sure, sure, we're gonna we're gonna sort of nod our heads to the panic kind of tones that are coming out. But but there wasn't a real sense of it's actually going to shift right now, and,
2: and it, it was almost characterised in the weather. Yeah, uh, it was still hot and sunny and beautiful yeah. at Monte Carlo, and, and I just got was, back from my honeymoon. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was it was overcast and grey by Baden Baden, and, and yeah. we had snow in mid December. So yep. it's yeah, because it yeah, it the tone had shifted by by Baden, hadn't it? That's that's definitely the case. I, I think the big sedents are always at an advantage that early in the Mm -hmm. renewal season they've got these big portfolios and they've got some deals that are super attractive that everyone wants to be on Mm -hmm. um first year ever we got to say that for cyber (laughs) (laughs) Um, but there's these big attractive deals that people they know that people will be fighting over and then there's property cap um and so they were looking to get ahead of the game um, make sure they had everything buttoned up for all of these programs um, and that they could go out and spend November and December horse trading yep. um, now that's that 's a sensible plan to have, but I, I think I think we saw a lot of people trying to turn on sixpence yeah um, and change strategy very late on
1: yeah and, and I guess you 've had if we we talked about looking at this year as a year in review, but if you go back even further and you look at the the written strategies of many traditionally sort of non cat-focused, non-reinsurance-focused vehicles that have come into the market with what might be not unfairly called tourist capital or capacity, looking for a bite at growth in insurance and reinsurance. And the only place that they've been able to get a substantial enough foothold in the market has been cat. They've come in because those are the panels that have made room for them because it's a fairly commoditized class. And they've started from being, you know, that bottom five percent on the program that, you know, that's gradually filled up to being actually a quite a significant chunk of the program mm. to the point where at the same time you've had all of these big, you know, top five reinsurers in some cases steadily reducing lines on, on certain students, such that when the bottom falls out and there's only the the big five and beyond who have just kept their their participation or stage where they are or even reduced in some cases, there's actually then a giant hole uh, left in some of these programs where they've relied on, you know, capacity that's now pulled out of the market completely in some cases, Uh, in other cases where the actual whole company providing the capital capital has pulled up, uh, has closed up shop. And in some cases where, you know, ILS or or similar collateralized stuff had, had been filling the gap that actually thought, you know what, not had a great experience in the, the hymn era. Yeah. Don't really want to trap up my capacity again. I, and I can get better returns elsewhere. So suddenly actually students have got a really hard battle to, to fill up massive gaps in their programs. Yeah. Cause, cause not only, I mean, you saw a
0: lot of people publicly pulling out of classes, publicly stopping writing reinsurance or retro full stop. And historically a company saying we're going to pull out of a class, like you left a five or 10% gap in a program or two, like, they would just go around and, and fill it elsewhere but this felt like the first time in memory um where there was nowhere else to go like there was a like there's now a 10 percent hole in this program and like i don't know where it's going to come from where before as you said there's there's, there's all these other sources of ILS there's other markets markets who can just grow their share it's like well i'll take another percent of that that's fine it's like that didn't happen
2: but it wasn't even as bad as it could have been this year because Mm. of the the number of carriers that pulled out of property cat meant that there was less demand for property cat retro yeah um and so people pulling back on that didn't have the impact that it could have done in another year Mm. But you know with i think we're talking about it as the worst experience ever it it seemed to me like the big stuff the important stuff got done yeah um and got over the line. So I think, you know, everybody's looking back and saying that was really difficult, but it was, and it was hard. Yeah. But most of the really important stuff got done. Yeah. What do you think it's, I mean, the thing that interests me
0: now is what has this renewal season done to relationships? What has it done to um, the reputations of firms in the market? Like what will, what will 20, What will the renewal season at the end of this year look like? You know, we talked about how Andy Marcel sort of wagged his finger at the market about slow quoting and all this stuff early in December. Like, when we go into the end of the year, will people be more willing to support those sort of brokers pushing back more aggressively? Will people still try to hold firm? Will they be annoyed by how markets behaved against each other? Will relationships be burnt?
2: It'll be it'll be that'll be in the most interesting thing, I think. There'll be March. an element of it. I, I don't I don't think nobody that we've spoken to anyway, um in our deep preparation for this episode <laughs> was um was begrudging or upset with markets that they work with that mm. had increased pricing or um, decided to cut line size or decided to impose some stricter terms conditions. I think there was a big concern quite early on about a move from um, all risks coverage into name perils coverage. Mm. Um, I think most reinsurers kind of took a pragmatic look at that mm. and and dealt with it through a restriction in terms conditions rather than, than that kind of seismic shift in the type of cover that they're offering. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think there's anybody that would be upset with um, a market acting that way. Um, I think the thing that Andy Marcel and, and of course all of the big brokers are going to to call out um, is when quotes just aren't coming out at all, mm-hmm. when you're completely unresponsive. And a, mm-hmm. part of me gets why that happened because, you know, the, the retro deals were done so late mm-hmm. um, and so people didn't know where they stood but to be like completely unresponsive to your customers um, does not seem like good business sense to me. And, and so so if you're a market acting like that, then I think there will be some reputational impact there. Yeah. But I, I don't think anyone will begrudge a pricing adjustment or a wording adjustment in relation to market condition, in relation yeah. to market yeah. condition. Yeah. One, well,
0: I think the brokers have been pushing so much on those little things over the, the duration of the soft market. I think the reason wordings especially got to where they were partly came off the back of market still soft. Let's push a bit further. Let's extend the hours clauses. Let's include a bit more exposure in these sorts of things. So it was just a bit of a pressing bit by bit over what, 12 years, um, 15 years. So, so I think it was more of the market trying to claw back a little bit of that. And I don't think you're right. there will be seen as unjust yeah de- and, de- and they're,
2: they're probably looking at it coming from you know when when these. Okay, it's unfair to pick <clears> on <throat> andy himself but when when there's statements like this coming from aeon and guy carpenter and, and gallagher re um you know it's those big brokers that are naturally in the advantageous position and, mm-hmm. and you know i i think they all did okay this renewal season it's it's some of the smaller challenger brokers that actually found it very very difficult mm-hmm. you know we we had first-hand stories from brokers calling up markets about capacity that they thought was coming in mm-hmm. um and had already been allocated to the big guys by the time they'd had a conversation with their client and their seed just where that restriction was so you know mm-hmm. I, I i think I think the the big brokers did okay and, and if anything, there was a bit of a flight towards those larger brokers yeah. this year. Well, I think that's all that's been the consensus
0: in the market for a very long time is that in a really hard market, the big brokers have the most power because they can they can, you know, wield their weight a lot more effectively. And you're right, if if you're a small broker with two clients in a region, like you're gonna have a really hard time sort of securing sort of Swiss re capital up front when, when Aon's asking for all of it. Or GC's asking for all of it right for the big deals that are being done or,
1: or if you're
2: you're in a small broking team right and and all of a sudden you're you're out to fot with a deal um you there's no way you're going to get that deal placed mm-hmm. you need to change deductible amounts you need to change the structure of the deal but as an ex broker yourself like mm-hmm. how do you even go about that process with
1: three weeks to go yeah, and I, th- I think as well it's been exacerbated a bit by a reversion to we call it relationships, but almost senior heavyweightness in some cases, where because the conversation can't be on an account or a line of business level, I has had to move to a think of our broader trading relationship level. Uh, it's meant that unless you can turn up with you know somebody who can carry the look at all the business we do together card at the cedent level at the broker level at the reinsurer level actually it's very difficult to do any kind of you know leveraging or horse trading to get things over the line yeah. you know if you're a challenger broker especially if you've only recently come into the market probably you're co-broking for a lot of the business that you do anyway and if you have got any salo accounts you're not really going to be able to say but look at all this other stuff we bring you because you know as brilliant as we think some of these outfits are they've not had time yet to really build that that breadth of, of market power. Yeah, that will be going forward
0: where I think you'll see the impact of that. And then we we wrote and talked about um, a lot in 2022, the sort of rise of the challenger brokers and the sort of push into that space and people f- maybe fleeing or taking flight from the big firms to set up shop and they saw the back of McGill's and some success there. We, If the if market continues to harden for another year or two, like we'll see – how those firms you know how they how they perform in the market obviously it's harder still as they only have a few counts to sort of go back and, and compete with the big firms so that would be an interesting shift
2: for sure and it made sense at the time as mm-hmm. well like you know as we're a software company and a, our value part of our value proposition i think for smaller brokers was about hey like you don't you, you can invest in a light online technology stack that's actually going to do a lot of the heavy lifting which is the difference from an analytics standpoint between you and these large brokers that that have invested loads Mm -hmm. um i think what we saw this year was like that some of that actually coming home to roost um and and some of the smaller brokers that are incredibly entrepreneurial and don't have any technology legacy but perhaps just hadn't got that strategy buttoned up. Um, actually, really struggled to make that difference in manpower mm-hmm. um, count and come through at the end. And so, you know, they had a heavier reliance on seedant. And then it's okay. Well, how technology enabled is that seedant. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a we all know there's a huge disparity there. There are some that are, that are very, very good and progressive and care a lot about the quality of their data and the integrity of their data and the ability to change their data at short notice. Um, and there's others that, you know, send over a raw SQL extract in October and say, hey, let us know when you got some quotes. Mm-hmm. Well, those quotes came back in December and they were not good. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. If at all. <laughs> no, it is true. And I, and I think, I mean, we talk about data in, in quite a general way here, but... If anything, the, the flight from Property Cat has meant that actually people are having to prove the value of their other portfolios a bit more than they've had to in the past. Like when you say specialty data or casualty data, it doesn't really mean much. A lot of the time, it's, it's sort of quite standard and basic things. But when suddenly that's all you do as a reinsurer, mm-hmm. or you know you've shifted your attitude to the way that you write Property Cat, or you're only writing the Property Cat because you really believe there's something good in those casualty and specialty portfolios. That's when you suddenly start to get a little bit more analytical, really put under the microscope. What's actually in these these border O's, these loss runs, these rate changes and estimates and so on. How are they going to be impacted by inflation? How is trapped exposure, you know, responding and and so on in different scenarios. And those are really hard questions to be put Mm -hmm. on the spot as a a broker or a student if your reinsurer turns around and actually starts challenging you know those exhibits that maybe haven't had quite as much attention historically, and
2: it's never the same question,
1: yeah. right? So it's so it's almost impossible to
2: prepare for because it it is like you say. I, I think what we heard from people were that they looked at the information that they had access to and said, "What about this? What about that?" It it wasn't that there was this, this standardized super question set um, that everyone just reverted to because the market was a bit hard, harder. Yeah. Um, it was it was very much, let's look at what's available and let's interrogate it much more closely and see what other information that we can get. And yeah. The companies that found it difficult to have that flexibility um, and be able to slice and dice the information that they had and look at things in a different way or look at another layer or with another lens... Um, into that information and actually struggled to respond to a lot of those those queries. Well, I think, you know, we, we come
0: back to that sort of time pressure. If if a reinsurer poses the same question to five different seedens and there's constrained capacity that they have, the first seed that comes back with clear answers gets the line put down. And the second seed comes back, gets their line put down. The third seed gets what's left. And the fourth seed comes back a bit later. The fifth seed comes back a bit later. It's like sorry, sir, there's there's no more money to give to you. Like this this is kind of the dynamic that we were experiencing, a little bit of that first come, first serve. If you can come back with the response time, you can come back more quickly to responding to the questions, the better positioned you were to get the capacity that you needed, well, you know, seeds were slower to move, didn't.
1: Can I Bring in my analogy because you can you set it up really well. Oh, good, <laughs> 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 I feel I'm in trouble <laughs> now already. <laughs> but, okay, so, so Cordy challenged us before literally like three seconds before we started recording mm-hmm. to come up with an analogy for 1 1 as yeah. part of our traditional analogy battle. Um, and as you were describing that, Jared, you reminded me of I, my experience immediately prior to Christmas, and by immediately prior to Christmas, I mean sort of midnight on Christmas Eve, uh, (laughs) pretty much, which was to do with the process of buying presents. Mm -hmm. Um, If you haven't listened to uh, the Economist's Money Talks podcast special episode on the inefficiencies of Christmas, uh, I'll paraphrase it for you now. Uh, Basically, a big part of the challenge of, of the economics of Christmas is that in a very short window of time, you try to figure out and buy for Uh, a very large number of people all in one go and only achieve something like an 85% value to cost ratio in terms of how much people actually value what's bought for them. And I feel like it's quite similar in the reinsurance market to buying Christmas presents because once again, amidst everything else, we're all very busy. You have to find the time to really think through and and ask uh, everybody what they want for a present. Buying for lots and lots of people uh, at the same time And all in advance of a particular deadline and just as you described jared you know i've got some people on my list and certainly i'm the person on several other people's list where having been asked many times what do they want and they said oh i don't know or it's taken them a long time to get back or more research was needed on either of our parts uh those are the presents that maybe arrived a little bit after christmas (laughs) day itself (laughs) shall we say those were the ones who um did not get bought Early in the process, did not get the deals closed yeah. on their on their gifts. So there's no uh, one, no one brutal enough to strike you off the list. No, you didn't respond. Well, this, well, well. I mean, a few, a few that maybe presents trickling in in March might say yeah. otherwise.
2: <laughs> that's that's my point. Is is yeah. there's kind of this human tendency to, if if you if you're asking for information from people and you're not convinced that you're going to get it all back, you would maybe go to more people. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Say in in this version of your analogy you have to buy 10 presents yes mm. <laughs> or you have you have a set amount of money that you have to spend yeah. um and Probably. so you'll ask more people than you have and and it felt like that was happening a bit
1: mm. um, and now i don't know whether that's intentional from markets but but it, it's also yeah. structural things like i there are our own versions of when is the last delivery date date before christmas and when does that shop that sells the thing you want close, you know, and it was was even worse this year because if you remember, you know, Christmas was on a a Sunday and Christmas Eve was on the Saturday so it Mm -hmm. made it like the Busiest Saturday you can imagine for last minute Christmas buys? So,
0: so what is the Amazon gift card in this announcement? What is the reinsurance Amazon gift card that says, here is something? The one with immediate delivery by email. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It says <laughs> it's not what you want. It shows I don't even care about you, but here's something. Here's well,
1: your 10 pounds. I, I think I think what you'll find the answer to that is, is that many customers or many people receiving an Amazon gift card. I just won't end up redeeming it or won't yeah. be able to redeem it because yeah. it won't fit them well enough. Yeah. But, however, the plant that I received that I asked for long in advance was a perfect fit because I scrupulously described it and all the things that I didn't yeah. want yeah. in a plant and the things I did want in a plant. And uh, the, the reinsurance market in the form of my family was able to go away and yeah. uh, provide such a plant in time. And here we are, it's still alive. It is still alive, so hanging on for dear life. I suspect. I mean, I, I'd be lying if I didn't over-specify that it had to be a sturdy and independent <laughs> <laughs> plan. But it likes its quiet time and being alone. Indeed. Um,
0: there, was ar- plumb, isn't <laughs> there was an article. There was an article that um, that Mark Gagam put out uh, in in on LinkedIn before the new year, but. That I thought was very, very good analogy of sort of the industry. And it was initially comparing sort of the toy market similar to your economist um, inefficiencies of Christmas. But um, looking at how there's always this surge for like the toy that's in stock that everyone wants. But, but 50% of UK toy sellers revenue comes in December. Right. So, but the thing that he was talking about was it's it's super complicated. (laughs) Addition to the conversation
2: there, and I I think your response was
1: perfect. By the way, (laughs) but having also introduced the episode by saying this is not the show of stats, I will throw as many stats as I can. Um, But they
0: were saying that the toy space is really interesting because one, its importance in the in the market, but two, you don't know what's going to be popular so they're they're starting to build a supply chain of toys in the summer in hopes that like is that gonna be the hot toy like five months from now, and they don't know at all. so there's always like a massive misalignment of of where people have put all their money to build products um but he but he was looking at going it's not a perfect analogy because the the trend the clarity of what reinsurance needs in the market is is much much more consistent so it was more like the market of um, like Christmas turkeys where there's there's better understanding of how many turkeys that they need to sell in a geography what he was saying was that um over over the last sort of several years the big retailers have abused the turkey sellers so much that those turkey sellers have gone I'm gonna do turkey sure but we're, we're gonna sort of Put more of our resources into grains and other things instead, because we can't be bothered with the turkey space. So then they land into the, into the market with like we don't have enough turkey, and everyone's kind of scrambling for the turkey and like panicking. And then he went a bit further and was sort of saying that, um, whilst at Christmas you could get ham or you could get beef or you could get something else to replace turkey, the seeders don't have anything else really they can do. They can get they can take debt, they can get some equity, but they're, they've are they really been hung out and this is sort of over the last several years of being a bit abusive to the turkey providers.
1: And please say you're not going to pass on the analogy battle opportunity to extend this further with the avian bird flu crisis. Yeah, exactly. That's the, the, turkey, thing.
2: Tur- the yeah. turkey shortage that never was. Yeah, Basically so much hysteria was kicked up that there was going to be this shortage of turkeys. Mm-hmm. So everyone went and bought a frozen turkey and not enough people bought fresh turkeys. So in this is what we
0: should have been doing in Monte Carlo, going, just in case, let's buy frozen turkey in yeah. advance. If you change and your one-one
2: change... to a one-three, you might do better. Yeah. yeah. But
0: instead they went, nah, it'll be fine. It's always fine. My MS has always got turkey. And then you roll up on the 24th going, Wee. <laughs> in trouble here.
1: Um, two things we learned: one, Tom has a freezer big enough for a frozen turkey. Two, oh my goodness! Jared shops at MS. <laughs> there we are. Make of that what you will.
0: <laughs> yeah, my tiny freezer could not fit a turkey, though. <laughs> um, they are have... huge, though, aren't they?
1: They are. Have you ever been? At... I'm always slightly surprised every year by just how large turkeys are. Just, I like. don't think I've ever seen
2: a like a proper live one. Because, like you, it surprises me how large they are. I mean, they must be about nearly as tall as you.
1: (laughs) He was looking at Jared when he said that, for those listening on the podcast. Those watching the podcast. Divert your eyes.
0: Fabulous. Any other insights we wanted to pull out of this one-one? As as Ben said at the start, like I think the numbers coming out of the next few weeks and months will be super interesting. Um, we'll get a lot more clarity as the big brokers put out their reports and similar. Um, but
2: anything else we wanted to touch on? I, I think there's there's a lot still coming out in the wash. Mm. Um, you know, I think it's still pretty early to see, you know, exactly what gets done, what doesn't. I think there's an enormous opportunity for markets now um, to kind of clean up. A lot of the the odds and ends that didn't get done, and and potentially there's still some deals out there. Yeah. If only there was a reinsurance software platform that allowed you to get your data in order really quickly for when these opportunities came up.
0: Rumours are there is, but we shall.
1: <laughs> we have to listen to the next episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, we trying yeah, to figure think... out who the mysterious <laughs> <of> the reinsurance <laughs> podcaster.
0: Um. But yeah, I think that's going to be an advantage going into the next year. I think the students who can who can go to the market sooner, who can respond to questions faster, who can be that sort of partner with their with their brokers and reinsurers, you know, are going to continue to outperform peers that are sort of stuck doing things in a very old fashioned way.
2: You know, and of of course we would say that because we provide the platform that helps people to do that. But it's it's genuinely what we've heard from our customers this yeah. year. Um, and ho- hopefully we can, you know, get out some more substantive stuff. I'm always happy to share customer insights with anyone who wants to know more. But yeah,
0: um, yeah, you're certainly going to see a lot more of that coming out with feedback from the renewal season, especially. So absolutely.
1: With that, I guess we have to stop because once again, Cordy is waving the whiteboard of wizardry <laughs> to say that we have to bring this episode to a close. Sorry. the alliteration <laughs> but I have no <laughs> idea what that meant. Anyway we wish you all a very happy 2023 (laughs) until the middle of february when we just have to say hello (laughs) (laughs) thanks everyone and thanks tom for joining us thank you thanks everyone